It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. We had the best tournament suggestions of the season paired with the worst tournament suggestions of the season in the same game. Breeze, Michael Thomas, Traquan Smith stacks smashed. There were even lineups on the DFS lineup genius. Check it out. Playerprofiler.com forward slash optimal dash lineup with both Traquan Smith and DJ Moore. (laughs) But all it takes is one. Just takes one smashing tournament lineup to make a lot of money. Best lineup of the week on DraftKings, Drew Brees, Saquon Barkley, Karrion Johnson, Michael Thomas, Corey Davis, DJ Moore, Traquan Smith, Vance McDonald, and wait for it. Giants defense! Yeah! (laughs) Saquon Giants RB defense correlation stack for the win. Yes. That lineup made a lot of people very happy. And the lineup of Carson Wentz, Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Alshon Jeffrey, Kenny Galladay, Golden Tate, Deshaun Jackson, Jonu Smith, Steelers defense. (laughs) Not so much, right? Where were those people who claimed James Conner was a sound cash play on the road against Baltimore this week. Where was the defense doesn't matter crowd to support James Conner? You can see a crowd of people and those people just slowly backing up, melting away into the background. As it turns out, defense matters and the New Orleans defense is what we thought they were all along when the season started. I am happy to see the best cornerbacks in the league finally playing like the best cornerbacks in the league. Darius Slay, Xavier Rhodes, Jalen Ramsey, Marshawn Lattimore were all playing better in recent weeks. Marshawn Lattimore in particular. I don't know what happened to Marshawn Lattimore earlier in the season, but he's rising up player profilers, cornerback rankings. The best cornerback rankings in the biz. And oh, DJ Moore, he's rising up the wide receiver rankings. Woo! (laughs) Not really so much in Dynasty because he was already ranked so high. We had DJ Moore ranked as the top rookie wide receiver before and after the draft. Because DJ Moore was so far and above the other wide receivers in the 2018 wide receiver class. He was literally in his own class. The exceptional age-adjusted college dominance with extraordinary size-adjusted athleticism. The best wide receiver prospect since Julio Jones. You have to go back to Julio Jones to find a better wide receiver prospect in a vacuum than DJ Moore. And what did he do this week? Oh, I don't know. Just over 150 yards and a touchdown. Ah, that's it. Eight targets, seven receptions. Juxtapose that with Devin Funchess. Two receptions on eight targets. So Devin Funches continues to be the target leader and the de facto number one receiver in Carolina. But all he does is drop touchdowns and fail to convert splash plays. All DJ Moore does is squeeze the football in the end zone and deliver splash plays at age 21. At age 21. I did not expect DJ Moore to usurp Devin Funches at age 21. The best 21-year-old rookie we've seen in recent memory is Amari Cooper, and he could not usurp Michael Crabtree. 
even though he brought more explosiveness, more downfield playmaking to the table. You can't expect a 21-year-old rookie to consistently out-target the entrenched veteran number one. As the season goes on, I expect the Panthers to continue to target Devin Funchess and Greg Olson and Christian McCaffrey. So I'm not running out onto my front lawn, tearing my shirt off and waving a flag back and forth with DJ Moore's face on it, saying, play this guy in cash. Nah, 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 nah. We've been playing him in GPPs, and that's just fine. That's what we've been doing with Traquan Smith. Just play him in GPPs and be happy with that. Isn't that enough for you people? Must we run out to the furthest, most ridiculous extreme with these playmaking rookies? Start calling them cash plays when they're not actually strong cash plays? Winning thousands of dollars in DFS tournaments isn't enough for you people? I heard very few people saying play Traquan Smith in any format, on any platform. Even though players like Traquan Smith are why guaranteed prize pool tournaments exist. Players like DJ Moore are why Player Profiler exists. We are here for them to refute all the nonsense about Calvin Ridley is the superior route runner. So he should be ranked ahead of DJ Moore in Dynasty, even though DJ Moore was leaps and bounds the superior wide receiver. Look at college dominator. Look at breakout age. Look at size-adjusted athleticism. There's not a statistical category on these players' respective prospect profiles that suggests Calvin Ridley is a more talented receiver than DJ Moore. Quite the opposite. In fact, what the advanced metrics suggest is that if Traquan Smith attended Alabama and Calvin Ridley enrolled at UCF, that it would have been Traquan Smith drafted in the first round. And it would have been Calvin Ridley going in the third or fourth round. You put Calvin Ridley on UCF with a wide receiver playing quarterback delivering passes? You have to wonder if he's not a day three pick because Traquan Smith has the superior size and explosiveness. Certainly look at the burst score. We're talking about an 80th percentile burst score versus a 5th percentile burst score. I mean, the players aren't even comparable. And it's why we have Dominator rating. Dominator rating exists to shine a light on players like Traquan Smith, who captured a significant share of the passing offense playing at a university with a gadget quarterback. Who cares if you reach 1,000 yards if your team runs the wishbone, you'll never get there. You look at Traquan Smith's profile on playerprofiler.com, you see an impressive college dominator, a very early breakout age, and the size and explosiveness to be a proper X receiver in the NFL. We saw this with Kenny Galladay the year prior. Same argument. Oh, you haven't heard of Kenny Galladay because he went to Northern Illinois? No problem. We have this website called playerprofiler.com. You can be familiarized with the exceptional size speed specimen that is Kenny Galladay a prototypical X receiver who looks like the next Calvin Johnson in Detroit that becomes apparent seconds after pulling up his page on playerprofiler.com. Just like DJ Moore is the next Steve Smith in Carolina. But I was shocked to learn today that there are individuals who chart Panthers games. They're game watchers. That's what they are. And they don't believe DJ Moore is a quality receiver. These are individuals that study the Panthers carefully are emotionally invested in the success of this team, and yet they are hate-watching DJ Moore because when the Carolina Panthers drafted him, they dismissed him as a bad route runner who could not succeed in the NFL, insisting that Curtis Samuel was a better receiver. And now they're locked into that position. It's classic take lock. So now you can't enjoy your favorite team's success 
DJ Moore scores a touchdown, and you're mad about it because of an asinine position taken on draft day. That because DJ Moore is not a polished route runner, that it was a bad pick by Carolina. The obsession with route running is a plague across all football analysis. And I blame Matt Waldman, the oracle of hand position and footwork. Matt Waldman has helped to spawn so many of these misguided game watchers. Wait, so I don't need credentials to do this? I can just record the game and watch it back and narrate what's happening? And I can build clout in the industry? That's all it takes? No credentials required? It doesn't matter that I never played the wide receiver position? It doesn't matter that I never coached wide receivers? I can be a route-running expert? Yeah, apparently. Show me bad wide receiver analysis, and I will show you an overemphasis on route-running. Because I would agree, yes, Calvin Ridley is an excellent route-runner. And... Has that helped him usurp Mohamed Sanu on the depth chart? Apparently not, because Mohamed Sanu is also a quality route runner. And Calvin Ridley brings nothing to the table, to the football field, that would indicate to Matt Ryan, oh, if I deliver the football in your direction, you're going to do more with it. Because we know, according to the burst score on Player Profiler, that Calvin Ridley's not particularly explosive. And that's the primary weakness of Mohamed Sanu. If I'm Matt Ryan, I'm like, well... Why did you draft Calvin Ridley? We already have Muhammad Sanu. Why didn't you just wait and draft Traquan Smith? That's the guy we really needed. And Drew Brees is showing you now how a player like Traquan Smith can be leveraged as a key cog in a prolific offense. And these amateur film watchers continue to focus on footwork and route running as if they know what the hell they're talking about. As if they're not just fans re-watching games. And even if it's true that DJ Moore's footwork is below average in the NFL, how much does that matter if he has great lateral quickness, if he has great raw explosiveness, if he has an innate understanding of the game that allows him to take angles on defenders that other wide receivers don't see, that allows him to break tackles, evade tackles, shake loose of Darius Slay, elevate, high point the football, and secure a touchdown. So what if he took an extra step along the way? You watch DJ Moore's touchdown on Sunday, and you focus on the footwork, you're focusing on all the wrong details. That's why there is no footwork metric on playerprofiler.com, because we have no way of measuring it, and even if we could measure it, we don't know how relevant it is to wide receiver success. The analysis of Footwork and route running by NFL wide receivers is as far away from being a predictive indicator of success as one could identify in a sea of football analysis. And yet, and yet, so often that singular aspect of a wide receiver's skill set is the sole focus. To be a successful NFL wide receiver, many attributes are required. And yet the subjective analysis of a wide receiver's route-running prowess is often a knockout factor for NFL draft analysts in particular. And then the problem is exacerbated when the NFL draft analyst then carries over their analysis into the summer and into the regular season, and they're locked in. They are lost. Cliche alert! Cliche alert! Cliche alert! Cliche alert! Cliche alert! They are lost, no longer able to see the forest for the trees. So no, 
Calvin Ridley is not better than DJ Moore because he's a more precise route runner. Because the route running at age 24 is all Calvin Ridley has. You saw rookie wide receivers breaking out all over the place this weekend. Christian Kirk was the Cardinals receiving leader and he scored a touchdown. Traquan Smith and DJ Moore melted faces. Even Cortland Sutton was the receiving leader for the Broncos. There are so many rookie wide receivers that are contributing and in many categories surpassing entrenched number one options on the respective teams. And yet there's Calvin Ridley wallowing as the number three wide receiver and the number four option in that passing game behind Austin Hooper. And I take great delight that Calvin Ridley was the impetus of so much attention that this podcast has garnered in the industry this season. Oh, it is a beautiful thing. And it may be aesthetically pleasing to watch Calvin Ridley run a precise route. And former Falcon Roddy White was able to run exceptionally precise routes at the end. And it didn't matter. Patriots wide receiver Reggie Wayne ran precise routes for Tom Brady. And it didn't matter. The attributes that DJ Moore and Traquan Smith bring to the table matter more. And the beauty is, DJ Moore is only 21 years old. And route running is one of the few learned skills in the NFL. If you dedicate yourself to the craft, you can become a better route runner. You can learn to better drop your hips. You can learn better hip swivel. You can learn more efficient footwork. This is why you draft the young, explosive wide receivers with incredible age-adjusted college dominance because they can produce right away as rookies with room to grow. We know what Calvin Ridley is. At age 24, he's a fully formed professional. DJ Moore is far from it. And dismissing him as inferior to Curtis Samuel, of all players, because he took an extra step on a route that you rewatched, represents the heights of absurd sports analysis. And when I first learned of the single game slate, I thought that was absurd. How can you have a tournament with a one game player pool? How does that even work? Well, here's how it works. If there are players for which we can bet on their performance, we will find ways to bet on their performance. Whether it's a 12 game slate or a one game slate, we will find a way. Other players playing football? Yes. Other stakes? Yes. We have a contest. And given the proliferation of these Thursday and Monday slates, the Thanksgiving Day, the Turkey Day slate, has almost too many players, right? It's a cornucopia of options this Thursday. Three whole games! Wow! I don't love it. I don't love the single game slates. I don't like three games. I like more options. But it's interesting. It's an interesting exercise to go through the player pool on DraftKings in particular for the Thursday slate. The Wishbone Classic. Yes. I mean, DraftKings is putting up a million and a half dollars of prizes for Thursday. I mean, Daily Fantasy's come a long way. I know there was a lull there in the growth, but Daily Fantasy Sports is as healthy as it's ever been. And our process is as healthy as it has ever been. Sure, you won zero dollars and zero cents with any lineup featuring a Wentz Alshon Jeffrey stack. <laughs> I get it. But all you need is one in your GPP portfolio. And you can follow the same process on Thursday. You might say, well, what? No, you have to take more chances on Thursdays. There's a lot less players. I don't think that's true. What are we looking for in cash games? 
stability, minimize downside, hedge out the risk wherever possible. And what have we been doing to hedge out the risk that has been working in cash games week after week? Play Camara and Ingram together. Because you knew that the satellite back plus was not going to hog all the touchdowns forever. And sure enough, there goes Mark Ingram scoring two touchdowns. Because that's what Mark Ingram does. Mark Ingram's role in that offense is between the tackles grinder, short yardage specialist. And those running backs often receive more touches in the red zone. This is just common sense. That in a game in which New Orleans wins by 30 points plus, that Mark Ingram would be heavily involved. And because this defense is so strong, I mean, it has become a stout defense very quickly in New Orleans. What do you do? You play their defense. That game did not hit the over, did it? No, because Philadelphia did not hold up their end. Why didn't they hold up their end? Because their offensive line has crumbled and the Saints defense is surging. So in cash, you pay up or you pay all the way down across these various positions. You can pay down a defense by just playing the Saints defense. You can hedge out the risk by playing Kamara and Ingram. If you have the choice of playing New Orleans Saints, you take it in cash games. Because we don't care about ownership in cash. So if it's a head-to-head, just get chalky. Get as chalky as you want to get. Cover yourself in chalk. Who is that person? What is that, a ghost? No, he's covered in chalk. He's playing Kamara and Elliott in cash. Because you can do that. You can play Ezekiel Elliott at home. I know that Amari Cooper's arrival perhaps foreboded a change in offensive philosophy in Dallas. Not so. This is a run-first team run by a run-first coach employed by an organization that has no overarching strategy, no approach to winning. The Cowboys famously underutilize analytics because for whatever reason, winning is not the priority. If they wanted to win more games, they would run the ball less. But the Dallas Cowboys are an anachronism in a league that is rapidly evolving. This team is being left behind, and that means Ezekiel Elliott will continue to lead the league in opportunity share. Ezekiel Elliott's 90.5% opportunity share is number one in the NFL. He's top five in dominator rating. He's top five in yards created, innovated tackles. He's number one in the league in breakaway runs. So he's receiving a massive workload, and he's been efficient with those carries. He's averaging 5.0 yards per carry. I mean... Even if you discount the long runs with our true yards per carry, his 4.7 true yards per carry is top 15. So if you could be efficient in the face of huge volume, you're a star in the league and you are a cash game lock, particularly if you're a running back at home that will be receiving 10 more carries than the next available running back on the slate. You could easily see that happening. So in cash, you don't overthink it. You play Elliott, Kamara, and Ingram. And you work around that. You Start there, and you build around that core. But then you realize that Michael Thomas is on the slate. Michael Thomas, who is on pace to break the record for catch rate. His 90.1% catch rate is number one in the NFL. And typically, the wide receiver that finishes number one in catch rate has a muted target share. Just enough targets to qualify. Michael Thomas' 27.1% target share is top 10. And he's number one in yards after the catch. He's number one in red zone receptions. But he's also number one in catchable target rate and target accuracy. It is a symbiotic relationship between the wide receiver and the quarterback. No better example than Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. Yes, he's catching the ball at an unprecedented rate, but that's because his 3.4 accuracy rating, which is on a 0-4 to scale, is as good as you could imagine. 97.8% catchable target rate. What? 
Like, what? How? 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 Drew Brees, that's how. So even in a week, like week 11, where you can expect Michael Thomas to miss expectations, only getting four targets, what does he do? He turns those four targets, first and foremost, into four receptions, then 90 yards, then a touchdown. So he returns value even in the face of low target volume. Even in a game where Traquan Smith more than tripled Michael Thomas's targets, Michael Thomas still delivered close to 20 fantasy points. That is the very definition of a high-floor NFL receiver. Not DeAndre Hopkins, not Julio Jones, not Odell Beckham. No one has a higher floor than Michael Thomas. He is the safest, most stable wide receiver in the NFL, and it's not close. And for that reason, you have to play him in cash. So I'm really making life hard on you in a head-to-head DFS contest. What do you do? You got to play Kamara and Ingram, and you want to play Elliott and Michael Thomas? How is that possible? Step into my office. It starts by playing a mobile quarterback like Dak Prescott. He threw for no touchdowns, so touchdown variants wanted so badly to blow up Dak Prescott, but he salvaged fantasy points last week with a rushing touchdown because that's just what he does. That's why you go back to Dak Prescott in cash this week. If you liked him in cash last week, you have to love him in cash this week at home against Washington. The only quarterback cheaper on the slate is Colt McCoy, and Colt McCoy does not have the requisite track record to play in cash. I think he's better than Alex Smith, but that doesn't mean I'm playing him in cash. Come on now. Not with those receivers. Not against that defense. No, you're not playing Colt McCoy in cash. Fuck out of here. Especially when Dak Prescott is only 400 more. And Washington has already allowed two rushing touchdowns to opposing quarterbacks. Washington, in general, is top 10 in fantasy points allowed to opposing quarterbacks. So this is a friendly matchup for Dak Prescott. You push the button on Dak Prescott in cash so you can play your cash core. Podfather, show us the path to our cash core. That's the question you should be asking me. Where is the path to the cash core? It starts with Prescott. And then what about that number two wide receiver slot? Well, you might say Trey Quinn, and I would agree, except Trey Quinn, even though he's 3,500, should be considered the wide receiver three this week. Bruce Ellington is absolutely cash viable. If this were a full slate, I would be advocating playing Bruce Ellington because Bruce Ellington arrived on the team a few days ago and he's already up to speed on the playbook so much so that he commanded nine targets. It's not happening for TJ Jones. We thought TJ Jones was the guy last week. It's not because Bruce Ellington is clearly better. And when you look at their profiles on playerprofiler.com, it's clear that Bruce Ellington is better. And this is where we failed. When Ben Gretsch suggested TJ Jones on the Roto Underworld Game Night Show, I should have been prepared with the Bruce Ellington player page. And I failed. Because you go there and you see, oh wow, 1064, 97th percentile agility score. That's what you're looking for from a slot receiver. Exceptional agility. He's also explosive. I don't know why Bruce Ellington keeps washing out with franchise after franchise, but all he does, as he did in Houston last season, is command targets and catch passes. I mean, what more do you want from your slot receiver? Command targets, catch passes. He offers explosiveness and lateral quickness out of the slot. How is this guy not sticking on a roster? How? How? I I don't know. But if we're looking for cheap targets for the dollar, look no further than Bruce Ellington. He's the number two option in that passing game. Not the number two receiver, the number two option. There is no tight end of consequence. And this team is riding Kerryon Johnson, much to the chagrin of 
the Theoritic enthusiasts. Yes, Theoritic, seven targets. Great. That's less than Bruce Ellington. And Theoritic is 4,500. Bruce Ellington is 3,200. Do the math. Uh, looks like Bruce Ellington's actually cheaper. Yeah, that's correct. And what about this Trey Quinn guy? Who's this Trey Quinn guy? Well, Trey Quinn is currently the best receiver on Washington. He's not the best catcher of footballs. That's Jordan Reed. Because it sure as hell ain't Josh Doxson. But Trey Quinn is the best wide receiver on the team. 34.7% dominator, 66th percentile at SMU while competing for targets with Cortland Sutton. He outproduced Cortland Sutton last season. If you like Cortland Sutton, then you must also like Trey Quinn via the transitive property. He is a target magnet close to the line of scrimmage, and that's what we're looking for. That's what you wanted Maurice Harris to be, but Trey Quinn is superior to Maurice Harris in every way. He's more athletic. 108.5, 61st percentile Spark X score. Maurice Harris is a bottom percentile Spark athlete. And the only reason Trey Quinn's breakout age is so late is because he transferred from LSU. He tried to play wide receiver at LSU and he realized they don't throw the ball at LSU. I'm not going to get a target in this passing game. So he decided to transfer to a place where they run the air raid offense, SMU. He's like, oh, I can get used to this. I'm out producing this Cortland Sutton guy. He looks the part of a true prototypical NFL X receiver. And I'm more productive. Maybe I'm good. And he's a pumped-up slot receiver. He's not 5'11", 180. He's 5'11", 205. So if there was a Cooper Cup in the 2018 NFL Draft, it was Trey Quinn. And yes, Trey Quinn is white. Unlike Cooper Cup, Trey Quinn was not appreciated by NFL Draft analysts. Trey Quinn did not shred the senior bowl, dominating younger cornerbacks. No, he was Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the draft even though he was more talented than all but a handful of the wide receivers in this class. And this is an exceptional class. And we had Trey Quinn ranked in the top 10 heading into the NFL draft. And so now you're telling me he's commanding snaps? A 75% snap share last week? Running 27 routes? Four targets is his floor now that he's tethered to Colt McCoy. The practice squad rapport. That's going to be the narrative next week. So a week from now, there will be articles written about the rapport between Colt McCoy and Trey Quinn. But I'm here to give you tomorrow's newspaper. We're giving you the analytics that support next week's narratives. So if you play the Saints defense, Ellington and Quinn and Prescott, you actually have enough left over to pay all the way up to Trey Burton. Now, you don't love Trey Burton in cash. No one does because the targets are inconsistent because it's a move tight end. This is what we've been saying for months. You'd much prefer the Bears start Adam Shaheen, a proper two-way tight end at the NFL level. He would command a more consistent target share, but Adam Shaheen was concussed. Adam Shaheen will have a very difficult time getting cleared for this Thursday. And I think the injury to Adam Shaheen will increase Trey Burton's snaps and routes and make him cash viable on a short slate. I would not play Trey Burton in the Millionaire Maker if the Bears were playing on Sunday. But on Thursday, the only better option is Jordan Reed, and you just can't get there. Email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Tweet us, at rotounderworld. If you can find a way to play a Camara, Elliott, Ingram, Michael Thomas core and fit in Jordan Reed, I'm all ears. Now, what about tournaments? Ah, yes. Anything goes in tournaments. 
in tournaments, we don't start by building a stable running back core. We start at the top with the quarterback. What's the passing game we want to invest in this week? And look no further than Drew Brees. It starts at the top. You don't need to keep scrolling. I know you might think, oh, well, we can get a piece of the shootout with Matt Ryan. Save 600. Really? Really? You're going to do that? Really? You're going to go play the Saints defense in cash and then play Matt Ryan in tournaments? I get it. It's possible. Why? Why? Why not just pay the extra 600 to get to Drew Brees? Because it's possible to get there and maximize upside. Here's how you do it. You hypothesize that the Atlanta Falcons go out to an early lead. It's the NFL. And the Atlanta Falcons have one of the best offenses in the sport. Let football happen on Thanksgiving. It's a short turnaround for the Falcons and a short turnaround for the Saints. Football can happen. Let the Saints go down by a couple touchdowns. Run that thought experiment in your head. What's the ideal lineup given that game flow? It's Drew Brees in comeback mode. You pivot off those Saints running backs and GPPs, and you play Drew Brees with Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith, and hell, even sprinkle in Josh Hill at tight end. Go stone men at tight end. YOLO the tight end on Thanksgiving in tournaments. Why? Josh Hill logged a 65% snap share in a week in which Ben Watson was not targeted. Think about it. He ran nine routes, committed four targets. What if... Josh Hill has that Josh Hill game. Every year we get a Josh Hill game. And you know what I'm talking about. Three catches for 30 yards and two touchdowns. It's floating out there. Why not this week? As the team is clearly putting Benjamin Watson up on blocks. When you take the boat out for the winter, you put it on blocks. They're putting Benjamin Watson on blocks. The 78-year-old Tony Gonzalez throwback. I can't believe Antonio Gates and Benjamin Watson are still in the league, but it's true they are. And what did Antonio Gates do last week? Scored a touchdown. Tell me Josh Hill can't have the game that Antonio Gates had last week. Josh Hill's explosive. He has a 127.4 90th percentile burst score and an 87th percentile agility score. (laughs) He's best comparable to Tyler Eifert. We've seen crazier things than an athletic 28-year-old breaking out of the tight end position. Crazier things have happened. Stack up your Saints in comeback mode. And if the Saints are in comeback mode, what does that mean? That means the Falcons will be feeding Tevin Coleman. So you pivot off Alvin Kamara to Tevin Coleman in tournaments. You got to play Ezekiel Elliott. Post up Ezekiel Elliott in all formats. Post up Michael Thomas in all formats. These are matchup proof, format proof locks every week. Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas. The game is who do you fit in around them? And if you play Josh Hill and you play Tevin Coleman, You can afford to move up to Kenny Galladay. Yes, yes. No wide receiver offers more upside for the dollar than Kenny Galladay at 6,400. Kenny Galladay fits in the center of that Venn diagram of 80th percentile college dominator, 80th percentile speed score, an exceptional talent profile. You just add volume and watch him flourish. We're like football gardeners. Life springs eternal from this wellspring of advanced metrics that we have provided. Because I don't think Marvin Jones is going to play. If he doesn't play, you have to play Kenny Galladay in tournaments. You have to. You have to. Now, there's risk to playing him in cash. The cash game lineup I laid out didn't have Kenny Galladay. Couldn't afford him, number one. But against the Bears, maybe the Lions get shut out. Who knows? There's some risk there. But in GPPs, he's a must-play. Dominating the target share with that profile. Every year, one, one prototypical NFL X receiver comes along. 
Last year, it happened to be Kenny Galladay. And if it's a tournament, you know what to do with your defense. You just correlate it. If you're playing Ezekiel Elliott, make sure you play the Cowboys defense. And you can get off the ownership on the Bears defense. Everyone's going to be playing the Bears defense. So the RB defense correlation stack allows you to also pivot off the high ownership of the Chicago Bears by playing the Cowboys. If you want to play someone on the Bears, the Bear to play in tournaments is a wide receiver that looks like he was built for tournament play, and that's Taylor Gabriel. You want downfield playmakers in your tournament lineups. The mistake we made last week was overweighting the matchup and not playing enough T.Y. Hilton in tournaments. You can make up for that by playing Taylor Gabriel, who has T.Y. Hilton's game on the Bears. Is he as good as T.Y. Hilton? No. Is he capable of over 100 yards and two touchdowns against the Lions' number two and number three cornerbacks? Yes. And if there was ever a week to sign up for an account on my bookie, this would be the week. You're traveling or you have friends and family over to the house. You don't have time to be on your phone, to be on your computer, checking your fantasy team constantly. But the Thanksgiving games are on. So why not set up an account on my bookie and place a prop bet on a single player in every game? In fact, you can bet the yardage over on all our favorite receivers playing on Thanksgiving. Think about it. Traquan Smith yardage over. Taylor Gabriel yardage over. And Trey Quinn yardage over. Yes. (laughs) I love that idea. I'm going to do that right now. And the beauty is I can use my own promo code. I'm going to use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get a $25 free play bonus in addition to a 100% sign-up bonus. (laughs) And because I'm only giving you one show this week, I know, I know, I know. One mega conglomerate show, the First Mover Podcast and the Mind of Mansion Podcast merged into one. The unholy matrimony of DFS and seasonal fantasy football. But there will, of course, be a backstage pass on Friday, available only to those on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather. And this marriage will be consecrated in the mansion. This is what you really want. Mansion lifestyle hacks for Thanksgiving. We'll go right to the top. The turkey. You want a moist turkey. You do not want a dried out turkey. Dusty, dry, overcooked poultry is the worst. And there's an easy solution. You can actually sous vide a turkey. You do have to break down the turkey into two breasts and two legs. You got to do this. You got to get over this. We're cooking the whole bird whole in one piece convention. You break it down. You cook it sous vide style. And then you put it back together again. Because when you're cooking it sous vide style, you can cook that turkey in the sous vide bag with a mix of oil and herbs and keep it moist so it's more seasoned and it's not dried out. And you can put Humpty Dumpty back together again to serve it on a platter as one. Think about it. I know, I just blew your fucking mind. But that's how you cook a turkey. And your guests won't believe how moist and delicious it is. It will blow minds. Everyone will agree. This is the most moist, most flavorful turkey I've ever had at Thanksgiving. And it's up to you whether or not you disclose your secret that you cooked it sous vide Humpty Dumpty style. And you can always put it back into a hot oven for a few minutes to get it crispy before you serve it. (laughs) 
and the herbs are important. Seasoning is important. So often, food at Thanksgiving is bland. Why? Why on Thanksgiving of all holidays do so many insist on under-seasoning their food? And there's a couple hacks to juice up the seasoning. You can go to Trader Joe's. They have the everything bagel seasoning. It's got all the seasoning on the everything bagel in one shaker. So they do all the mixing for you. You want to mix herbs together. Just a single herb is a waste of time. At most grocery stores and finer foods shops, they also have an Italian herb mix of parsley, basil, oregano. Why just oregano? Why just basil? Why not have it all? Herbs are meant to be mixed. It enhances the flavor of whatever you're seasoning when you apply a mix of herbs. They often complement one another. Think about the Indian five spice. The Bengali five spice mix consists of cumin, fennel, fenugreek, black mustard, and nigella. While you're Thanksgiving guests with some Bengali five spice on your stuffing, for example. I go, wow, this is delicious. What is this? I've never had stuffing this good. Well, what could this be? Ah, of course you've never had it. You're white. Supercharge your spice rack. Never settle for a single spice. And if you are traveling to spend time with family, your relatives are hosting you. Do them a solid and take them out to dinner or lunch on Friday. It is a lot of work to host Thanksgiving dinner. It's a huge expense and an incredible effort that a lot of people do not see all the shopping and prepping that goes on prior to the meal. You take it for granted. So make sure to take your host out on Friday. And whenever you take someone out, when you're getting seated, that's when you give the host or hostess your credit card. You say, this is on me. This trumps all. Anyone that tries to jump in and split it with you or pay before you can pay, if you give the card to the host, you never have that problem. Anytime I'm spending a weekend with friends or family, I always make sure to take them out to dinner and hand my card to the host the moment we walk into the restaurant. And then you need to get home safely. We're traveling this Thanksgiving. That's why we only have this one show. My only regret is that we have to drive on U.S. highways. And if you drive on highways in the United States, that means you have to deal with aggressive truck drivers. And I'm not talking about freight. Those are real truck drivers. Real truck drivers know how to drive. They know what they're doing. The worst are the pickup truck drivers. And the higher the pickup truck sits, the worse and more aggressive those drivers are. They are a plague with the loud mufflers and the aggressive driving. Some of the fastest, most dangerous drivers are not motorcyclists. And they don't have sports cars. They're driving these little dick pumped up pickup trucks. Because if your cock's not big enough, I have a solution for you. Bigger tires. Assholes. So let's go talk to the anti-asshole. The furthest thing from an asshole there is. His name is Bob Harris. You know him well. He is a fixture in the industry, a titan. Be sure to follow him at Football Diehard on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Oh, we go way back with Mr. Bob Harris. Welcome to the program. Talk to me, Bob. 
Oh, greetings, Matt Kelly. Thanks for having me on. I know the the season gets rip roaring, and we it's always hard to connect with people and figure out a time. Everyone can do something, and uh, I appreciate you working with me on this to to get me on. Yeah, getting you on early in the week. We have Thanksgiving coming up. We're doing a wait. It's Thanksgiving. Yes, Thanksgiving week. Oh yeah, there's. I can tell there's three Thursday games. That's how I know what the holiday is. That's it. That's it. And there's a special Turkey Day slate on DraftKings and so on. And here we are with a super conglomerated show for the people. So I've been asking people this question because I think it's interesting. Everyone has a different take on it. This new NFL offensive renaissance that we're experiencing and enjoying so much. How are you processing it? What do you think? I'm loving it, honestly. I mean, this has been a phenomenal season. Every week, you know, the, we are setting new records in terms of scoring. I look at the over-unders every week, and uh, I just sit here and go, over, 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 over. I mean, everyone <laughs> crushes it. I, I think about the Steelers-Panthers last week, and the Steelers beat the over by themselves. And, the, you know, when I really first started thinking about it a little bit, it was the uh, Packers-Patriots uh, game. I'm just going, wow, that's a pretty high over and under. And as I'm watching the game, I go, wow, they really, they really undershot that over under. And, you know, I mean, but that's been kind of the case all year. And, and as fantasy purveyors of the fantasy game, this is exactly what we want. And, and look, defenses will figure some things out, but they're not going to get this turned around, right? It's not turning around this year. I don't know if they can turn it around in short order. We see, you know, every year we see the defenses playing catch up in the off season, much like fantasy owners do, trying to figure out some of the things that we uh, glean from a season. But but the defensive coordinators don't get many days off. I mean, they've got to figure this stuff out, and, and to some degree they will. But, to, you know, to other degrees they won't, Matt. I, I mean, one of the things that strikes me in recent years is the success of big slot you know, receivers, right? Adam Thielen this year, and, you know, you can think of Larry Fitzgerald. And just they haven't yet caught up with the slot corners yet. You know, it takes a little time. Remember when the NFL, you know, the big prototypical wide receiver ones came on uh, these 6'4", 6'3", 200-plus-pound guys thundering up the field. At some point, we got a series of bigger cornerbacks and, you know, just things that adapt and adjust. But the evolution takes a little time, and I think in this case it will as well. And much to the joy of fantasy owners, the offensive uh, renaissance will continue. I, I call it a renaissance. I mean, it's baked in the cake. It's what they want, and that's what's happening. The defenses are adjusting slowly but surely. It's happening. It always does. It's the Darwinian NFL. Only two games this past weekend, not counting the Monday night game, was there a team going over 30 points. Right, right. You had the New Orleans Saints, of course, and the Indianapolis Colts. No other team crested 30 points, but when you look at the scores, a lot of teams in the 20s, the games I point to that best illustrate where we are now with NFL offenses and the philosophy of NFL coaches to speed the game up and try to actually score, like play to win the game. Carolina-Detroit, that would have been a 10-9 game in previous years. Jacksonville-Pittsburgh, that would have been a 10-6 game. See, now these games that used to be unwatchable are at least watchable. Right, and that, that Oakland-Arizona game would have been 23-21 to because those defenses are horrible. But <laughs> that, that would, that's exactly right. That's a throwback game. That's exactly right. That's the one game that was in line with historic norms. Absolutely. But we also now have the pleasure of watching these massive shootouts that just were not in the range of outcomes in previous seasons. So that's what's 
That's what's really cool. Right. And I mean, even that Saints game, I mean, you know, you think about the over under in that one was what, 63 and a half. They came a little bit under, but had, you know, the Eagles showed up even, you know, to a modest degree that over. I mean, it, it was well within reach thanks to the Saints alone. So their defense has finally turned it around. I don't know what happens to defenses. What happened to Marshawn Lattimore early in the season? What happened to the Saints getting beat by the Buccaneers at home? Who knows how these things happen? But with cornerbacks like Jalen Ramsey, Marshawn Lattimore, Xavier Rhodes, Darius Slay, they are starting to play better. They're starting to play up to their standards, and that's a big deal. When these keystone cornerbacks play well, it helps the entire defense. It really does flow down from there. That's why I think th those are such important positions to invest early round draft capital in the NFL draft because you see when those players are playing well, the defense performs much better. Now, when you're looking back at your success this season, because I believe you've had a lot of success, this season in particular, it's just been a great season for Bob Harris. What lesson did you learn this past year that you implemented that made you a better analyst? Most of the lessons I learned the year before and I, you know, assimilate over the offseason and ruminate on. And I, the one the one that I, I think has paid off the most is, you know, offensive lines matter. I mean, we, and this seems so obvious. And and yet as fantasy owners, we, we, you know, we're often just, you know, look, it's easy just to, you know, to take into account just opportunities and just the matchup and the individual matchups, you know, for each player, uh, which is a lot of times, uh, you know, not really that time that well spent. Maybe the time is better spent figuring out how the offensive lines are faring and, and following on that. And that's what that's been one of the keys for me over the, the last offseason was was reminding myself every week offensive lines matter, learning more about them. And this offseason, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to put a lot of time and effort into figuring out how to survive September, the new August. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the level of volatility, because it is the new August. I mean, there is no more, you know, playing your starters through the preseason, getting any cohesive or, you know, giving us any clarity. We come into this month of September with more uncertainty than we've ever had and, and trying to figure out a, you know, processes that will help us navigate that um to what to the degree possible and i mean i you know you have to concede it's only to the degree possible but trying to get a handle on that whether it's just changing the approach to no you don't just start your studs right i mean that's that's always you know that seems to be a, a pretty you know that's out there that's what we all say oh you start your studs you draft it to be something maybe we need to look a little farther than that well who are the studs <laughs> right, exactly. That's that, that's what we're going to have to start figuring out, you know. And it turns out David Johnson is still a stud when properly, but we need to figure out some of this volatility and get a handle and, and find out ways to deal with it. Yeah, David Johnson's learning that offensive lines matter. Right. Yes. yes. Carson Wentz is learning this season that offensive line really matters. Kirk Cousins is figuring out offensive line really matters, and Dalvin Cook and the entire Eagles running game. But Josh Adams scored. Josh Adams is becoming a fantasy-relevant option. Can he help fantasy gamers down the stretch? Yes. You know, and look, I, I'm, I'm one of these people who believes everyone has a purpose, and, and it, some of this is going to depend on attrition and your own personal situations and the range of options you have. But I do think Adams is a guy, and I mean, you know, some, you know, you know me, I love my narratives, but um, when you look at, you know, you take into account what the coaches are saying and, and 
what they need. And, and look, the basic premise for all this is coaches want to keep their job, right? It's a nice job. It pays a lot of money. There's a lot of stress involved. But, but you know, you can look at no further than Tampa Bay, this back and forth at quarterback. I mean, whatever it takes at the moment to win. And when a player like Josh Adams comes on the radar that's helping Doug Peterson, you know, turn, at least get the season on track to a degree possible, he's going to stick with that. And I think it is. I think of all those three guys, he's the one I could play right now, right? But between him, Clement, and Smallwood, he's the one I could play right now. Well, he commanded a more than seventy percent opportunity share this past weekend, right? And it's been growing, Matt. I mean, that's been that's the other thing, you know. As you watch that trend, it's been a it's been on the rise over the last month, as I think starting about starting four weeks ago, right? So that's the key. One of the more important numbers in all of fantasy football this past weekend. Josh Adams, six targets in the passing game. That's a big deal that Josh Adams is commanding more targets than Alshon Jeffrey, than Zach Ertz in any given game. That's huge because Josh Adams looked the part of a between the tackles grind of a between the tackles grinder coming out of Notre Dame. He only had an eight percent college target share because that offense was predicated on the run game. They focused on using the offensive line, which we talked about, it's becoming a theme pounding Josh Adams. That's why he had a reasonable college dominator, a great college yards per carry, 6.9 college yards per carry. How did he get such a high yards per carry? Look at the offensive line he enjoyed at Notre Dame and his size adjusted agility. I know he's 6'2", which hurts him because it really inflates, it really reduces his BMI and you don't see many successful 6'2 running backs. Derrick Henry! (laughs) Derrick Henry! (laughs) But... Look at that agility score, 1095, 93rd percentile agility for a guy that weighs 213 pounds. This tells me that he can be successful between the tackles. Now, if you're actually targeting him in the passing game, then that's a really big deal. So yes, I think Josh Adams probably was picked up last week on the waiver wire, but I think he's a guy that you can now flex with confidence replaces the other guys who you were kind of flexing with confidence in that offense. You know, it started with Corey Clement and kind of Wendell Small would assume that. And now it's, and I, and I think Adams giving, gives them the more versatile combination of those things. Now that we've seen, he can actually be a factor in the passing attack. Yeah. He's far superior to those players because he has both the size and the athleticism and the ability to win in all phases. And you can't say that about those other running backs, especially Wendell Smallwood. Get out of here was what I can't believe Wendell Smallwood was still in the league tricking fantasy gamers he's a very nice young man though <laughs> i mean is there how many years people have to be convinced that wendell smallwood is a thing andrew luck he's also on the other end of the spectrum from carson wentz he's enjoying the best offensive line play of his career whenever you see andrew luck going multiple games without getting sacked that's i mean that's news right and now he's As efficient as he's ever been, not surprising that the Colts' offensive players, all of them, are reaping the benefits of offensive line investments in the draft. Right. Look, he hasn't been below 20 fantasy points since, what, week three? I mean, it's just... It, this has been and it's funny how he's uh, you know I think that protection is one of the things that allows him to cobble together games and I say cobble together because honestly I mean T.Y. Hilton when he's been there hasn't been necessarily high end all along right I mean he was this game certainly Sunday but uh, against Tennessee but but I mean it's been a little hit or miss and you've got these tight ends putting up you know league what best numbers at the position or, or right up there at league best numbers and not just one or two of them but three of them and sometimes four of them you know so uh, 
I've been very impressed. And look, Andrew Luck is back. There's no doubt about that. We had, you know, and I think one of the things we can learn from that is, you know, maybe get a little in front of some of these quarterbacks in drafts, not drafting early, uh, but draft, you know, draft the high upside guys, the the Andrew Lux, the Mitchell Trubisky's, the Pat Mahomes of the world. Before you draft your steady Eddie a little later, the guy that probably you'll start to open the season. Because they're dime a dozen, these uh, these high upside guys, wh- wh- where there are some indicators. I mean, whether it's the offense they're playing in on, in the combination of that and their abilities and the offensive line, but maybe get a little in front of those guys and take those risks. I had a real blind spot with T.Y. Hilton this past week because I didn't, I'm frustrated at myself for not processing his situation better this week. We have Adoree Jackson ranked as a top 10 cornerback in the NFL, and I thought, oh, well, Adoree Jackson and this Titans defense is playing so well. Harold Landry is rushing the passer, is pressuring the quarterback so well. This isn't a great situation for T.Y. Hilton. He hasn't produced. He's getting older. All these micro-criticisms of T.Y. Hilton were built up instead of me zooming out and realizing, oh, wow, this is T.Y. Hilton in a smash spot. How is this not obvious? It wasn't to me. It wasn't to a lot of people. But when you look back with hindsight, there are a few hindsight situations that were not more obvious in hindsight than T.Y. Hilton in week 11. If we watch a lot, though, I mean, you see things like, you know, Jackson, when he turns around, he doesn't play well when he's turned around. Neither does Malcolm Butler, for that matter. That's been a problem for both of them. But, I mean, these are the things when you think of a speed guy like Hilton. And, I, you know, honestly, I'm not going to say I, I was thinking it like this. But, but as I watch this game, I say, oh, yeah, sure. You get past Jackson, he has to turn around. He's, he's, he, can't, he can't play like that. He, he's, not, he's not capable of defending like that when it's, once he gets turned around. So, those kind of things come into play, especially with a speed player like Hilton, but sometimes predicting that. And honestly, looking at his you know, scoring over the course of the season, it's been hard to rely on him. He's been underwhelming. It's, it's been frustrating, but it's T.Y. Hilton. Sometimes, Bob, you got to start your studs. <laughs> sometimes you do, don't you? <laughs> right, right. Are the Colts the second wild team in the AFC? Yeah. They are, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. They look so good. And, and why? Offensive line. That's why. I mean, it's not their defense. It's not their stable of high-end running backs. I mean, you know. Nope. They can spike up a little bit. And it's certainly not a the best receiving core in the NFL with Dontrell Inman now installed as the wide receiver two here. Uh, you know, pretty good tight end core. But it's, it's Andrew Luck. It's the offensive line. And again, you know, with, with a guy like Andrew Luck and all the elite quarterbacks, the truly elite quarterbacks, they become that extension of the coach on the field. That's always a difference making situation. And Frank Reich, it turns out, is, is, is a pretty good offensive mind. Yeah, but Eric Ebron is a fraud, right? Of course. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Anyone, I look. I, I do like what Reich said about him, right? So we sit around in the room each week and we try and find out ways to use him. In that regard, he's not a fraud. In, in the regard that the, the, the Colts are sitting around trying to come up with ways to make him a, you know, a weapon. I mean, that's not a fraud. I mean, and it's been successful. Expecting that to continue on a week-to-week basis, I think you're, you're, you're fooling yourself if you're expecting that. So Eric Ebron may be the Tavon Austin of tight ends. Possibly so. He's got to complete those touchdown passes. That's, we need him to be efficient. Yes, and those rushes. Yes, the jet sweeps. <laughs> That's what he needs to execute, absolutely. The success of Eric Ebron does help to illustrate the snap share fallacy that 
Sometimes great playmakers with the low snap shares produce more than their snap share would suggest because when they're on the field, they're there because a play just got called for them. Exactly, exactly. And that's his case totally. And look, I'm not going to say it hasn't been working. I mean, you can look at the year-to-date stats as well as I can. And, uh, you know, but but anybody as, you know, longtime fantasy players, everybody knows. I mean, you know, counting on touchdowns, Every single week is is a is a risky approach over time. You don't need to count on touchdowns with Saquon Barkley. He can win in every phase, even though he's trapped behind a subpar offensive line and is a featured weapon in an anemic offense. So the deck is stacked against Saquon Barkley, the entire deck. I mean, it is a cliche, but the deck is completely stacked against this guy, and all he does is produce. He was the top-scoring running back last week in the smash spots of smash spots at home against Tampa. That's where you need to produce, and he did. That's the thing. If you don't produce on the road at Jacksonville, if you're James Conner, or on the road at Baltimore, Okay, we understand that, but make sure you deliver in the handful of smash spots when everyone's starting you and everyone's playing you in DFS, and Saquon Barkley delivered. That was a big deal to me. Did he surpass Todd Gurley as the most talented running back in the NFL in a vacuum this weekend? First, to be fair, uh, Joe Mixon should have done a hell of a lot more. Uh, That's just personal bitterness, but that aside... Uh, look, he look, he's right. He, he's right there with Todd Gurley. But, you know, I think from a fantasy perspective, you could make this argument. Certainly from a, an NFL perspective, you cannot yet because Todd Gurley is is so good at so many things. Uh, right. Talking to the guys that cover the team on a daily basis. <clears throat> you know, they lay it out all the time. And it's true. I mean, his pass protection, his route running, his receiving ability, all the things that you know i mean todd Gurley is a truly the master of his position in, in, in all aspects of that saquon barkley's not there yet because he just got here right i mean it's he's like dj moore it's like give him a second he'll learn the nuances of route running in the next couple years just give him a minute i hope we're going to talk more about dj Moore, but but for now yes again that you're exactly right that is the thing i mean the, this is the train has left the station we just aren't at the destination yet right and so but we can see right now i mean you look at Saquon Barkley and he is a danger every single time the ball is in his hands you can't ask for any more than that whether you know yes you can you can ask for a great offensive line you could ask for a higher end quarterback uh you've got great playmakers you know at the other positions that should work in his favor as well as soon as they figure out some of those other things uh in New York and they will figure them out to some degree because Saquon Barkley is going to help them figure it out he is one of those pieces that makes the guys around him better just like Odell Beckham will and just like Evan Ingram to some degree will so so, yes, I mean, this, again, the train has left the station. We're just waiting for it to arrive. So why are you so excited about DJ Moore? Um, so, you know, coming to the season, and I had this conversation, uh, someone just, you know, lambasted me on Twitter a couple weeks ago after the Calvin Ridley run of touchdowns. And, you know, do you still think DJ Moore is better? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> why don't you come back in two years 
when DJ Moore is the age that Calvin Ridley is now. Right. And just look, look, DJ Moore came into a better situation than Calvin Ridley. I'm not saying a better offense, but a better situation, a clear path to workload. And when we're dealing with, you know, rookie receivers, that's a lot of the battle, right? I mean, and, and you know, a lot of it is learning the offense and, and figuring out what the roles are. And, and, but, but if I'm sitting around thinking, okay, Steve Sarkeesian, offense a guy that already knows it well enough right he fits matt ryan's strengths he's a timing you know route runner timing all that that all works well but wow there's a julio jones there that makes a big difference right i mean it can it can help him but still there that guy's going to be the featured guy when you look at carolina it's devin funches all right. Yeah, he's <laughs> well, not Julio We see Jones. you coming, DJ Moore. We see you coming, kid. And it's you know, it, it, and it's happening. It's always a process with rookie receivers. There are going to be ups and downs. I like that Moore's ups are coming when we need him most as fantasy owners uh, down the stretch because I think it's a real ordeal. And in all due respect to Torrey Smith, you know he's going to be back from that knee injury, but his role is not coming back. That's for sure between. More on Curtis Samuel, but th- that's the problem for for Ridley right now is just you know putting it together week to week and finding a fit and a frontline role when you're playing alongside Julio Jones. You know, Mohamed Sanu is still going to get his. Austin Hooper's coming on in terms of the targets he's getting. You have a running back who commands a lot of targets. Just you know, I'm not saying there there aren't those same issues in in Carolina. They're just not the same issues. They're lesser issues. Devin Funchess may finish his career with less 100-yard games than Julio Jones averages in a season. Think about that. I, I, look, and it's not terribly surprising. I mean, you know, I was, uh, I was a little surprised when they brought Kelvin Benjamin Jr. on because Kelvin Benjamin Sr. wasn't working out well for them as it was. So, <laughs> Oh, no! Kelvin Benjamin Jr.! <laughs> I get it. I get it that, you know, look, you need you, we have Cam Newton as our quarterback. We have this guy who needs these guys with the huge catch radius and the big physical presence that can go up and, you know, beat guys, uh, you know, on 50-50 balls, et cetera. Well, Norv Turner shows up and says, to hell with that. We're turning him into an accurate passer. <laughs> so, uh, and, of course, we all knew Norv Turner was magic coming into the season or had some kind of uh, – no, nobody expected uh, uh, Cam Newton to be as accurate as he has. I mean, it's been amazing – how this works, but a lot of this is due to the offense and the play calling of Norv, Tur- Norv Turner. And uh, to some degree, in Norv, we we apparently must trust. I like Devin Funches. I've thought he's one of the most underrated wide receivers in the league, but when you go out and drop four passes in a game, it's heartbreaking. I just, intellectually, I know that drop passes are also in and of themselves overrated, mm-hmm. but the visceral nature of the drop pass, especially the drop pass in the end zone, is not something I can just forget. And don't think that's not something that's shared by guys like quarterbacks and play callers. It has to. How does it not? It has to affect their confidence in that player. It has to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Aaron Jones seems to have the confidence of Packers coaches, Aaron Rodgers, most importantly, at long last. So is he a top 10 running back in the league? He's a top 10 running back with a bottom 10 coach. Uh, with you know, Look, I mean, you know, to his credit, I mean, you know, the, the things he's doing on the touches he's getting has been amazing, right? And I mean, you know, maybe not as much uh, – la- and it's against Seattle. It was kind of, you know, 
pedestrian aside from the, the big spike play, right? But I mean, you know, when you look at his career numbers, I mean, he's up there ahead of the Bo Jacksons and Jamal Charles in terms of, you know, yards per carry. And it's been very impressive. <clears throat> I'd like to see what he could do, you know, with another five carries a game. But I'm never, I mean, we're never going to see that. So we're going to be satisfied with what he is now. I would say he's a running back two right now in terms of anticipated production, just because of that role is still going to be limited to some degree. Yeah. Um, but. He is capable of giving you, delivering you, you know, those running back one numbers any given week with his big playability. So you're playing him like that. You had Leonard Fournette ahead of him. Leonard Fournette was actually the Jaguars' leading receiver on Sunday. Let that sink in. Right, right. I, I talked to Leonard Fournette last week. Oh. And I asked him, yeah, I asked him what, the, you know, if this is the, you know, and, and after the, the first game back, right? <clears throat> so, and I kind of asked him if this was, you know, the, the kind of workload we could expect, uh, especially in, you know, and in that game he was targeted, what, five times? You know, and I asked, is that a little bit more? He says, yeah, this is what it's going to be going forward. Well, of course it is, because he is the offense right now. Uh, this was the plan coming in. And, of course, you know, Mike Tyson has explained how this works. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the nose. And uh, Fournette got punched in the nose with the hamstring. The Jags have been punched in the nose with offensive line injuries and, and Blake Bortles uh, sucker punching them. Well, that's not sucker punching. We all know who he is, Blake Bortles. <laughs> but, <laughs> At this point, yeah, we all are seeing that coming. If you're playing Blake Bortles, you're leaning into that punch. Right, you're, you know, and but you're going to get some, there's going to be some, it's like playing Eric Ebron. There's going to be some big games, right? So Sure. But I think Fournette, you know, you're playing him. Look, it's not high-end production with him, right? It's not that, he's not that, he's not that Saquon Barkley. We, I mean, look, we've seen it. We saw last year against Pittsburgh, the 90-yard carry. But what, do you have two carries of more than 20 yards last year? All year, I, I'll have to look that up. But, I mean, it, that's what we're talking about. A guy who is not the explosive take-it-to-the-house threat uh, like an Aaron Jones would be perceived, or a Todd Gurley, or a Saquon Barkley, or, you know, and, or a Kareem Hunt, or an Alvin Kamara, or even a Mark Ingram, right? So, But it's a difference in situation versus the player's profile. These are very different players. Leonard Fournette is a between-the-tackles grinder, first and foremost. Aaron Jones is a smaller, more versatile back. He succeeds because he's part of this efficient offensive engine. Leonard Fournette succeeds because he receives great volume. Exactly. In spite of his offense, because he is the best of what they have, he gets the opportunities and he will produce because if you feed a player enough, they will produce fantasy points. Aaron Jones is on the other end of that spectrum probably not getting as many touches as we would like throughout the season, but he's scoring on a lot of those touches because they're operating in the red zone at a higher rate than most teams. So wide disparity between those two players, wide disparity between Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco, right? You can't get wider <laughs> than Flacco versus Lamar Jackson. Do you agree with how the Ravens used Lamar Jackson on Sunday? I agree. Well, they won. So I do agree with the way they used yeah. him on Sunday. There it is. But there's going to be games where him running the ball is not going to win them games. And I tend to agree with what Marvin Lewis said after the game is, you know, running quarterbacks get hurt because they do. It's just it's a, it's a, it's going to uh, well, running quarterbacks, not named Cam Newton. Let's stipulate. Uh, but not all guys are six, six, two hundred thousand pounds either. So um, even Cam Newton has multiple concussions. He does, and it's true. I mean, it's just not a good position to put quarterbacks in in general, because not just because the, their physical, the, the, you know, their physical structure, but because they they're often in bad position, you know, when they are 
uh, are hit. Uh, it's certainly in dropbacks, uh, less so in running, but they're not accomplished runners for the most part. So they don't always do the right things when they're running the ball either and protect themselves as well as they should. Lamar Jackson is obviously different, though, in that regard, right? He is a good ball carrier. I want to see him throw. We all want to see him throw. We want to see I want to see him win a game with his arm. And uh, and and I say that fully believing he can. Uh, at some point, but I don't know if the, I don't know if the Ravens believe that. You know, if you listen this morning, some of the chatter. You know, they're designing an offense going forward around more his athletic ability. The analytics suggest that that is a sound approach. That NFL teams do not call enough designed runs for the quarterback because they're so afraid of injury. Fear-based coaching is not the way to go. But the guy sitting on the bench in Baltimore is a reason why, right? Robert Griffin. Right. Well, we'll see how this works out. You can't rush the guy 27 times, but I'd love to see 8 to 10 carries a game for Lamar Jackson. I'd love to see that. Here's the thing that he does, though. I mean, when you're, when you're playing him like this, as uh, whoever the running back is, I mean, when you do those run-pass options, you know, everybody has a decision now, right? <laughs> am I going to let this guy Jackson kill me, or am I going to let the running back kill me? And, and, it, and it creates some tension and some issues for, defense, uh, for defenders, I think, on, on those RPOs. Who is the new starting running back for the Baltimore Ravens? Who's the primary guy? Gus who? Gus Edwards. Okay, so let's look at the recent history or the somewhat recent history. I mean, last year, who was the running back to open the season? Do you remember that guy? I don't know. If I, I remember the guy who finished the season. Justin Forsett? That was a couple seasons ago, right? I mean, this is not a new thing in Baltimore. Kenneth Dixon? It's kind of a tradition, right? So Javorius Allen? Eh, nah, nah. Maybe Kenneth Dixon. Not Javorius Allen. But maybe Gus Edwards. Why not Gus Edwards? Running back doesn't matter. They matter on the margins. Yeah, you could get a couple extra yards here or there, depending on the situation. But mostly, it's what's blocked. He was on the practice squad for crying out loud. Justin Forsett was a washed-up journeyman. Uh, you know, this this is a this is a thing that happens in the NFL. It seems to be a trend in Baltimore. The most predictive athleticism metric that we have on PlayerProfiler.com is speed score. When evaluating prospects to predict NFL success, Gus Edwards, 105.0, 78th percentile speed score. So if there is a metric to point to, it would be the metric where Gus Edwards performs the best. It's speed score. Congratulations, Gus Edwards. You have an NFL career. <laughs> Go score some touchdowns. Yes. Tevin Coleman didn't score. He's very inconsistent, highly volatile, difficult to predict when to start him. He's the T.Y. Hilton of running backs. What do you do? I can't project what he's going to do. We're wrong about Tevin Coleman every week. Do you have a player like Tevin Coleman where you just can't seem to project him on any given week? Yeah, Tevin Coleman. <laughs> it's frustrating, man. I love Tevin Coleman, but his weekly production is maddening. Right, and, and I mean, I think that's the, you know, in an offense like that, though, where it might well be the passing, you know, might be the thing. He he has a role, enough of a role in that that you think it's going to be okay, and he does enough as a runner with some of those longer runs that you think he's going to be okay, and as soon as you think he's okay, he's not, and that's, you know, I mean, uh, you know, honestly, <clears throat> Tariq Cohen is a guy that I just, I just, like, I see him every week on my list of options, and I just look past it. I don't want to deal with that. And Tevin Coleman's kind of in that same category. I mean, these are very tricky backs. I know he's good. I know he's fast. I know he's big and strong. I know he's capable. And and I look at his weekly PPR scores, and I see a five. I see some single digit scores in there. I see a thirty two in there. 
I see a lot of mid-range 10, 11, 12s. I mean, I don't know. It's a, he is He's one of those guys. <clears throat> and I think those are the guys we develop our blind spots to as we're, you know, doing our analysis, offering advice. And, you know, I'll get questions, uh, Coleman or this guy. And I almost always say, huh, unless it's Coleman and Cohen. And then I'm like, I've thrown into a, fit, a frenzy of, of self-doubts. It is amazing how the formats of the leagues in which you own players influences your perception of those players. I have Tariq Cohen in best ball leagues. So I love Tariq Cohen. All my Tevin Coleman is in traditional set your lineup leagues. And I am beside myself. It's crazy. But this week, though, against New Orleans, this is a week where we're not expecting a lot. The New Orleans defense is improving. There's a lot of arguments building up, stacking up against Tevin Coleman because the game script will likely be working against him in the second half. They'll have to throw the ball downfield to win. So a lot of arguments against Tevin Coleman this week, even though if you zoom out and you look at his situation, he's going to be in a shootout on turf. This is where Tevin Coleman usually, not always, never, never always, but usually exceeds expectations. So I can see this being one of those swerve weeks for Tevin Coleman. And so, of course, Edo Smith is going to score from the 10-yard line. Right. It's a short turnaround for me. I just, I'm, I hate that to start with. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be, and Edo Smith, the hell with that guy. Get him out of here. So you don't think Edo Smith's better than Tevin Coleman? If you were starting a franchise, would you go Coleman or Edo? I think we'll find out next year. We're going to find out, right. right. Now, I think we found out this past weekend that defenses matter. It mattered to James Conner, right? It, defenses didn't matter for James Conner. Remember, he, he exceeded all expectations against Baltimore. Oh, defenses don't matter for James. Oh, wait. Oh, yep. Mm, yep, yep, yep. They do matter after all. How much should we be factoring opposing defenses to the various positions in fantasy football when we're putting together our projections and our assumptions for the week to come? We should you we should do this a great deal. I mean, it should be part of the process for everybody except the matchup proof guys. <laughs> I mean, just like there's you know quarterback proof guys. You got a quarterback proof card. Hey, DeAndre Hopkins, here you go, quarterback proof card. Yeah, Hopkins is cornerback proof. That's right. He, he also gets a bit of a matchup proof card. Uh, Antonio Brown gets a matchup proof card. I mean, I think there are guys out there. Where you take it into account, you look at it, and you consider it, and then you throw it out the window, and you go, I'm starting Antonio Brown. I'm starting DeAndre Hawkins. I'm starting Devontae Adams. I don't, you know, I don't care. I'm playing those guys. Well, just because you're matchup proof doesn't mean the opposing cornerback doesn't matter. The difference between Antonio Brown you know, posting a, a wide receiver one week in fantasy football and Antonio Brown taking those 13 targets and being the top scoring wide receiver in fantasy football comes down to a play that Jalen Ramsey makes on the football in the end zone. That right. does matter. It affects the player's ceiling. So here's the thing, Matt, that we do as fantasy owners. We we often uh, you know punish ourselves. I should have known better than to play that guy. No, you shouldn't have. You should have played that guy. Uh, I mean, you're playing, you, you know, you're sitting here, but just make the best decision doesn't always yield the best outcome, but it doesn't mean it's not the best decision. And, and playing Antonio Brown, regardless of who's covering him, playing DeAndre Hopkins, regardless of who's covering him, playing Devontae Adams, regardless of who's covering him. Those are the good decisions. They're smart decisions over the course of time. Well, might it kill you on any given week? Yes, just like any decision will. It's football. It's an oblong spheroid. It bounces funny ways. Crazy things happen, people. It's football. That's why they play the games. It's an oblong spheroid? I love that. 
I love the description of the football. Uh, it's designed to bounce weird ways. That's the whole point. It's, you know, it's got a point on each end. It's craziness. So these are things that, you know, I think, you know, as I look at each week and, you know, you start getting feedback on Twitter, as we all do, about the advice we've given and things like this. I mean, you know, are the people lamenting, you know, bad beats or whatever? Look, you didn't, you know, you can sit there and beat yourself up for playing that guy, but it was the right decision. Just didn't get the right outcome this week. And that's how football is designed. Yeah, you were supposed to play Corey Davis this week. He was in a smash spot. And what happened? Marcus Mariota re-injured his elbow. That's what happened. No one could see that coming. But now it looks like we have a lost season for Mariota, which means a lost season for Corey Davis and a lost season for Taewon Taylor. And with Blaine Gabbard, it looks like the only receiver in this passing game that's going to thrive is Jonu Smith. First of all, you can only have one quarterback per roster with a porn stash. Somebody's got to get rid of theirs. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of season. Look, we had high hopes. I mean, understandably so. Look, a lot of these things that we look at are, are the same things. We see the same things the NFL sees. So when they bring in a Matt LaFleur uh, for a quarterback that's struggling, they look at his history of working with Kyle Shanahan of working with Sean McVay and they want to duplicate some of that set. Look, Chicago did the same thing. We've got a conservative old coach who's hindering the progress of our of our high-end rookie quarterback. Let's go out and find a bright young offensive mind to turn this quarterback around and get this franchise on track. Right. And it's working there. It's not yet working in Tennessee. And then maybe it won't work because their quarterback can't, you know, has an elbow issue that's going to keep him from, you know, having the year we all expected. And, and think of, too, something Bruce Arians, you know, said famously, you know, when a new offense comes in, it takes eight games to figure it out. When did Marcus Mariota started playing good? About what, week nine? Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I mean, that's right. And Bruce Arians famously resurrected a quarterback with a bad elbow, Carson Palmer. Yep. So, look, I, I, this season is lost. I still have hope going forward. But, you know, Mario is going to be very cheap next year. <laughs> yes, that's it. We're looking forward to next year. But it's over for Tennessee and Mariota and this Titans offense. But Jonu Smith is breaking out all over the place, and that's great. He is essentially small school David Njoku. That's what we said last year. And as it turns out, he looks the part. I love Marcus Mariota, though. I really want the best for him. In that 2015 quarterback class, it was Marcus Mariota. It was Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston can go to hell. I love Mariota, but I don't love him as much as Drew Brees. Every game, like every game, incrementally, I love Drew Brees more and more and more and more and more. I was an equipment manager in college, and we were playing Drew Brees. We were ahead, and it was a minute to go, and Purdue was at their own one-yard line. This is a true story. Look it up. They were at their own one-yard line. Drew Brees was scrambling in his own end zone, back and forth. We were just so tense. We were just waiting for the sack, something. And then all of a sudden, you see, he lets it go. And I was standing on the sideline, and I could see this ball flickering through the air. And I, I remember as it passed by the sun, it was truly like a poetic sports experience. And I could hear it. I could hear the wide receiver running. I could hear his breath, and then boom, he runs right by me, and I'm like, wait a second, what's happening? And there's the ball, it's landing in his arms, fluttered into Vinny Sutherland's hands, and boom, he's gone for a 99-yard touchdown, crushed us, Drew Brees, he's the man. Uh, I don't disagree with that, look, yeah, you argue with that, I, I would put... In a similar category, Philip Rivers, right? I mean, not that, not the, uh, not the as attention grabbing, I guess, but 
but a similar kind of player who just, you know, I know he lost yesterday, but still got our touchdowns. I mean, we get them every week. He, you know, you look over the course of the seasons year after year, where do you draft them versus where does he end up? You know, and I guess my only issue with Breeze is last year I, I hit a point in drafts where it was about the fifth or sixth round. I thought, there's nobody here I'm going to pay for. I know, I'll just draft Drew Brees. Uh, didn't work out as well last year. I mean, and it's worked out every other year, right? I mean, last year was the outlier. It's just like the year I bought a house, housing values went down the, <laughs> down the toilet. Houses have never lost value. Okay, I'll buy one. Oh, look, houses bought lost value. So <clears throat> I feel like I got 2009 to buy Drew Brees last year. But anyhow, uh, I do, I, I agree with you. He's phenomenal. He is another, you know, example of the quarterbacks who are extensions of coaches on the field they have that mind meld with the play caller these things are all vital to the success of both teams and fantasy players and he's ageless right yes he's playing better at age 39 than tom brady played at age 39 so if you think tom brady is an immortal vampire well then that must mean that drew Brees is also an immortal vampire and i looked up the wide receiver that caught that pass. His name was Vinny Sutherland. The ball fluttered into Vinny Sutherland's hands against Northwestern on that fateful afternoon. And that was the day I fell in love with Drew Brees. Are you familiar with this Trey Quinn guy? Oh, I yelled at the DraftKings people for not having him in the player pool. Trey Quinn was on my list last week. I just wanted to see a little bit before I stuck my neck out that far. And I got a taste. Oh, of course. Oh, I think it's on for Trey Quinn. I think he's better than Maurice Harris, which isn't hard. That's not a high bar. But he's different. Let's be let's be fair. I mean, he's a different player. And, you know, Maurice Harris had some success in that same role. But, you know, he doesn't have the speed. He's not, you know, he, he's more built for the outside, you know, the uh, you know that Paul Richardson spot, I guess. So uh, and maybe he can fare easily well there. But Trey Quinn until, you know, Jamison Crowder is, a, is an issue again. And we don't know when that'll be. Well, anytime you have a month plus absence with a high ankle sprain you try to come back but it's futile we've seen that over and over again especially with wide receivers and high ankle sprains so the quarterback situation there now becomes of interest if you're a trey quinn fan so yes so we'll we'll see what you know that's going to be an additional layer of intrigue to to work through with colt mccoy although i think what's the percentage chance that colt mccoy is actually better for fantasy football than alex smith it's it's about 50-50 right now. I mean, I you know, I I give him I mean, it's for starters it wasn't great for Alex Smith. It wasn't the 2017 Alex Smith, safe to say. So, I mean, it's it's possible the Redskins Whoa. like him an awful lot. He's been a journeyman for a while. I'm not going to get my hopes too high. Don't tell this to Ian Rappaport, by the way. Ian Rappaport claims that Alex Smith was in the middle of a stellar season before his injury. He was probably in the middle of a solid yet unspectacular season. Ian Rappaport vaporizing the meaning of the word stellar using his Twitter account. But we'll see. I mean, look, the Redskins do like McCoy. They've liked him for a while, but did they like him enough to start him before now? No. So there's a reason for that. Should the Bears be feeding Tariq Cohen the way the Broncos are feeding Philip Lindsay? Because these are similar players, and Tariq Cohen was a workhorse at the college level, just like Philip Lindsay was a workhorse at Colorado. And we talked about this with Lamar Jackson. The risk aversion of NFL coaches really is a detriment, and it negatively impacts their ability to win games we see that with the lack of design quarterback run play calling and we see that with the lack of utilization of 
satellite backs, but you can't say that about the Denver Broncos. And they go and they win the game because they decided to feed their satellite back, Philip Lindsay. More NFL teams need to take cues from Sean Payton in his use of Alvin Kamara and now Vance Joseph in his use of Philip Lindsay. Are we close to seeing that kind of usage for Tariq Cohen or are you just totally exasperated by this usage? Vance Joseph, one of the more advanced offensive theorists in the NFL, obviously. Um, uh, look, so I know you. This is something you you want to talk about anyway. So I'm a Jordan Howard truther. I believe he's my guy. <laughs> he needs the ball more. Uh, and and I, this is only for one reason: is because when he came into the league as a rookie, I wrote something like I think as early as July on Fantasy Pros, uh, predicting he was going to be the running back who won people titles down the stretch. The guy he that did. nobody heard of, and he did. Uh, it was a little more obvious why at that time. I mean, John Fox made that easy to predict or an easier thing to predict or a more likely outcome to happen. I don't know if that's the case with with uh, with Matt Nagy, although I suspect that, you know, at some point when the weather gets bad, he'll want to do that. But look, I feed somebody, Matt. Give me somebody I can count on. I don't care if it's Cohen. I don't care if it's Howard. Make it somebody. Make it Taylor Gabriel for crying out loud. Listen to this start set approach. You start Jordan Howard at home and you start Tariq Cohen on the road. How about that? Fair. Let's do that. Fair. And Jameis Winston is going to be the starter again in Tampa. I, I can't believe this. They're going to they're gonna trot that scumbag back out there. They're going to do this, aren't they? Sure. Sure. I mean, until he makes them not. I mean, look, this is this season is about the preservation of Dirk Cutter's job at the moment. This is I mean, I, I don't I don't know that this is about figuring out if Jameis Winston's the guy beyond this year. Maybe they already know that answer. Um, but right now, this season is about Dirk Cutter keeping his job. And uh, I don't I wish him all the best in that. That is such a perfect landing spot for a quarterback, whether it's a free agent quarterback, Nick Foles, Teddy Bridgewater, whoever it is. That's the job. Because you see when Ryan Fitzpatrick is going well, he's a top five quarterback in the league because of the supporting cast, that weaponry. Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, Chris Godwin, even Adam Humphreys in that role is successful. Look at O.J. Howard down the seam. So if I am a pending free agent quarterback, I want to go to Tampa. If I'm a rookie quarterback, I hope Tampa drafts me. The only thing they're missing is a satellite back, but Peyton Barber was fantasy relevant again. He has these weeks where he goes over 100 yards and scores a touchdown. Is he basically Jordan Howard South? Kind of, yes, except without, not as exciting. But look, he was another one of those guys last year that won people titles down the stretch. You'd like to think he could get the opportunity to do again. Maybe Dirk Cutter and the efforts to preserve his job will realize that hurling the ball down the field the way he does with quarterbacks who don't always throw it to the right team. Maybe the, the little passes, those ones handoffs. <laughs> little passes. And maybe he should use more of them. Look, that, their defense is forcing his, his hand here. And that's going to be a limiting factor for Peyton Barber down the stretch, I believe. Uh, the Buccaneers can't play defense. If they could, we'd be much more excited about him. Julio Jones, should he change his name to TD Variants? <laughs> a reasonable a reasonable suggestion. Remember that? Remember when he couldn't score a touchdown and then all he does now is score touchdowns? I love this. I love Variants. <clears throat> we knew this was going to be the case at some point, right? Once the once the rain began, you know, the pouring would continue and, and here we go. 
talking about Julio Jones just isn't interesting because just droning excellence ceases to be interesting. It's more interesting to talk about Calvin Ridley and his inability to command more targets than even Mohamed Sanu because Mohamed Sanu has a similar skill set. He's just more experienced. Right. So the idea that Calvin Ridley would command more targets was always a bit far-fetched, more targets than even Mohamed Sanu. Based on these rookie breakouts we're seeing, is Calvin Ridley even a top five rookie wide receiver at this point? I mean, you know, he may have secured that just with the that touchdown outburst earlier this year. I mean, when we look back on it, but right, you know, I'm, I think I think that's yeah, and maybe he has another one. I mean, this- Kiki QT was also productive. I'm going down this list of rookies. It's impressive. Oh, it is. I mean, look, and I think if Kiki QT was on the field all season long, this would be a different conversation, right? And that's part of it too. Um, uh. I think Ridley will be in the top five when all is said and done, but it's a, it's a bit of a struggle given, you know, and, and which is maybe going to surprise people given his draft status. Kiki Kuti, nine targets to DeAndre Hopkins, six. If I told you that Kiki Kuti would have 50% more targets in any given game than DeAndre Hopkins without an injury, you wouldn't believe me. You know what? I might believe you because this isn't the first time we've seen it, right? I mean, that week four game, what do you have, 15 targets? In his first game, coming off of the hamstring injury, the first time we his NFL debut, 15 targets. So, I mean, he can be that guy, right? So, I just think some of this is going to be matchup dependent, though, for him. So, but but yes, he has that ceiling, and I think that's gonna that's gonna have him in an awful lot of lineups, even on weeks when maybe he ends up being disappointing. Speaking of the Texans, Lamar Miller, what the hell? Nah, I you know, I mean, honestly, hasn't been better than you expected. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. It's it's for me. It's been better than I expected. That offensive line apparently run blocks better than a pass blocks. I think that's surprising. Um, <clears throat> but it's going to be continue to be up and down for him. Um, and we'll see if Deontay Foreman can get in the mix and maybe make it impossible to start uh, Lamar Miller down the stretch when maybe we need him the most. I would like some player somewhere. We know it's not Alfred Blue, but somebody make it impossible for me to start Lamar Miller. I have some Lamar <laughs> Miller because. He was such an exceptional value. He kept falling, right. sliding. There he is in the sixth and seventh rounds. Okay, I'll take him. Fine. Because he does have explosiveness. He is like Tevin Coleman in that way, that there is splash play potential. I remember a number of long touchdown runs in Miami. Right. But he has somehow lost that ability in Houston, and it's frustrating. Remember how we were all mad at Joe Philbin for not using him more? Oh, yes. Yes. Turns out Joe Philbin realized something, you know, and that's something as fantasy owners we need to pay attention to as well. There's guys that are around these players 12 hours a day, every single day, who maybe have a better understanding of their limitations and abilities than even we do as we sit on our television boxes for 30 minutes a week, you know, gauging their play. It's possible that that's among the true things. But as of now, we're still all smarter about Aaron Jones than Mike McCarthy. Damn right we are. (laughs) Until further notice, David Johnson, three targets. That's two less targets than even Lamar Miller received. One reception for David Johnson. What the hell? Uh, They need to give him more, and I think they will. Look, again, jobs are on the line. That's always a motivating factor. I think Byron Leftwich has done a great job of simplifying the offense, which is not saying much because Mike McCoy, what runs the most complicated offense known to man. Um, but by simplifying, I mean, give the ball to your playmaker. This is not hard. You know, this aspect of the football is not that difficult. 
Uh, if you want to win games, put the ball in your playmaker's hands. I expect them to do more next week. Amari Cooper out-targeted by Cole Beasley. What the hell? Uh, Amari Cooper's greatest value here to me is uh, to Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, you know, just there's safeties who have something else to worry about now. Safeties have something to worry about when they play the Lions. Yes. What is Kenny Galladay's upside? And was Marvin Jones Wally pipped on Sunday? I don't know if he was Wally pipped. I mean, I think maybe they were, you know, it was kind of a co-equal thing, it seemed like almost, you know, but the hope early on seemed to be Galladay being the lead guy. I think it's coming to pass. And we need to remember seasons are long things and there's peaks, valleys, ups and downs. And, and it's how you finish is how, what we'll remember. And I think we'll remember Galladay having a huge season once all is said and done. And part of it may be thanks to Marvin Jones, who, who sounds like he might need more than a week. I think he probably will. That's right. Even though they won the game, is Matt Patricia still in over his head? Uh, yes, right now. I mean, because he's a puppet, right? He's a puppet. He's Bill Belichick's puppet. The Patriots had no problem with him walking away. They had a big problem with Josh McDaniels walking away. But when Detroit called Matt Patricia, they said, hey, bye, we'll see ya. Yeah, give, give him a little time, though. If he doesn't get run out of town on a rail, you know, for taking shots at the local beat writers, etc., uh, you know, I, I think I think there's hope over time. I think he does have a process. He's learned a good process. Uh, he has a GM who's in on the process. I think all these things work in his favor. It's just will they be able to keep their jobs long enough for the process to work? And how long will it take? That's the question. I remember when Jim Bob Cooter was credited for fixing Matthew Stafford. I'm old enough to remember that. Some hot Cooter talk. That's what I like. <laughs> George Kittle's coming back off a bye. He's been exceeding expectations more than any other tight end in the league. Is it safe to rank him ahead of Rob Gronkowski in Dynasty? If you don't, you're just ranking the name and not the player. Oh! Now, Vance McDonald, he does not carry much brand equity, but he is playing well. Are you a believer? I am a believer. I'm a believer in what the Steelers want him to be, and as long as he's healthy, I think he's capable of being it. This is why size matters for tight ends. This is why you don't draft Trey Burton just because you like the offensive coordinator and you don't know who Anthony Miller is, right? If a move tight end is not on the field in all game situations, the beauty of having a tight end with great size adjusted athleticism and a history of production stretching back to his days in college is that he's always going to be on the field and that will help him command a higher target share and score more touchdowns than the average move tight end. And that's what we're seeing with Vance McDonald versus Trey Burton, for example. You agree, right? Yeah, and watch, watch what happened with Adam Shaheen back. Well, Adam Shaheen was already concussed because of all the positions in the league, none is more violent than the tight end position. These guys are gladiators, none more so than the tight ends. You an Adam Shaheen truther? Uh, I'm not a truther, but I'm a believer. Why do you like Adam Shaheen? Um, I think he's a good fit for the offense as a second tight end, not the move tight end. He's well-rounded, versatile. He can be the move tight end. He can be the guy down in the group, down in the line with his hand on the ground throwing blocks. I think he'll be on the field an awful lot, and I think he'll have a role. I just think the Bears like him is, is the reason I believe in him, and sometimes that's enough. And I love the big, productive tight ends with the excellent size-adjusted athleticism. That's Adam Shaheen, 36.4% dominator rating. Now, that's 95th percentile because he went to Ashland. So you always want to look at metrics like dominator rating in context but you don't need to look at the speed score in context. 107.8. He's comparable to Scott Chandler in a good way. I know that's weird to say, but it's in a good way. Now, I'll get you out of here on this. Give me a bold prediction. 
and we talked about it. You give bold predictions on the serious show. Go even bolder. A prediction that's so bold, it wouldn't even be allowed on the radio. It would only be viable on a podcast. We actually talked about it. Gus Edwards is the next guy in Baltimore that's going to win you titles. Woohoo! Really? Really. I mean, hey, look, this is, not a, this is not a new thing we talked about. It's been foreset. It's Bing Collins. Next up, Gus Edwards. Take a bow, young man. Gus Edwards, because running back does not matter. Some hot cooter talk. That's what I like. This is why size matters for tight ends.